Welcome to Sunday School Dropouts, the podcast where an ex-Christian and a non-believing sort of Jew read all the way through the Bible for the first time. I'm Lauren O'Neill. And I'm Nico Bakulich. And let's get biblical. Before we get started, we have a couple things to remind you about. Uh, This is not a Bible study podcast. Nope. And um, it'll contain cuss words and uh, all sorts of things that are inappropriate for kids, Mm -hmm. um, as well as sometimes uh, descriptions of sex and violence and rape and stuff, because that is what is in the Bible. Don't blame us, please. I'm the ex-Christian. I was raised Christian. I'm now an atheist. And I'm the guy who's like uh, sort of a little Jewish. (laughs) Not really, though. Anything else? Well, there's something different today. What's that? Can you guess? (laughs) I can guess. Because there is another person sitting in our little studio today. Oh, what? Weird. (laughs) Um, And his name is J.W. Friedman. You may know him from the podcast, I Don't Even Own a Television. And he is here to help us out with the book of Deuteronomy. Yes, and we need it. We need all the help we can get. Thanks for having me. So, Jay. Yes. (laughs) uh, If you can. Would you give us uh, just a brief description of your religious background? How did you grow up? Uh, What do you believe now? Et cetera, et cetera. Brief may be difficult. Uh, (laughs) I'm I'm from a weird place. Uh, I am half Jewish, uh, but I was raised by my mother who is not Jewish. Uh, She's a Mohawk Indian and very much agnostic. Uh, So I spent most of my life not very religious. Uh, Actually, within the past couple of years, I've kind of become interested in Judaism again and have been, uh, I wouldn't say practicing, but, uh, you know doing my thing <laughs> practicing to become <laughs> yeah practicing to become observant. more jewish mm-hmm. um it's kind of basically i mean when you tell people you're jewish there are a lot of expectations about the way you live your life and uh mainly just that you don't eat pork yeah yeah basically that and uh i also love lobster so yeah. <laughs> well that is very forbidden as we learned yeah many times um so what do you like what does um semi-practicing mean to you I've been reading a lot. Um, I got drunk a couple nights ago for Purim. Nice. Uh, <laughs> that's that's about it. And you said you prepared for a bar mitzvah, but you never had one. That is correct. Uh, when I was about 14 or 15, which would have been late, obviously, uh, I was planning on converting to the religion officially because uh, since my mother's not Jewish at the time, that was, that was a requirement. And so I was going to have a bar mitzvah after that. So I took some classes uh, and then just kind of lost interest before. So mm. uh, yeah, so I learned a little bit of stuff and then punk rock was more interesting to me than religion. And... <laughs> I can't imagine why. <laughs> yeah. And now uh, in my, my late thirties, I find myself kind of gravitating back towards that stuff. So did you like go to any services at all growing up? Um, only with friends. I had a lot of a lot of Jewish friends. I grew up in Florida in a pretty area with with quite a quite a large Jewish population. So, um, you know, I definitely go to high holy days with my friends and, and their families and stuff, but not not on a regular basis now. Cool, cool. Why are you laughing? It sounded like a way you would answer it in court. You know, it's like uh, <laughs> I, I only do it with my friends. Yeah, <laughs> occasionally. Yeah. I was just holding this for my friends. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's um. not my Torah. <laughs> Speaking of Torahs, what did so we always talk about like what the Bibles are that we read. Like Lauren reads the NIV, and I read the Oxford NRSV. What uh, alphabet soup thing are you reading? I am reading the ASV, the American Standard Version. American Standard Version, cool. and it is on his phone. He's mm-hmm. reading off of his phone right it now. It is. I have a Bible app now. 
um, and I've been able to make comments, and I'm very worried that religious people are going to see the comments I've been making. <laughs> Something we would know nothing about. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Should we jump into the book of Deuteronomy now? Yes. Okay. So the Hebrew name is Eleh Debarim, which means these are the words, or in modern Hebrew, these are the things. Mm-hmm. The English name comes from a mistranslation of a copy of the law and means repetition of the law. Okay. But it does repeat a lot of laws, so it is an apt name. Um, to recap on where we are plot-wise. <laughs> previously on the Bible. Previously mm-hmm. on the Bible. Um, Moses, you may have heard of him, brought the Israelites out of Egypt. They wandered the desert for 40 years. Repeatedly pissing off God. Mm -hmm. He's constantly slaughtering them with fire and snakes and plagues. His brother and sister have both died at this point. Mm -hmm. And uh, he is not allowed to cross into the promised land. Nor is anyone else who was over 20 when they left Egypt. They have reached the Jordan. The Jordan. Yeah. And across the river lies the promised land. Mm -hmm. But they have not crossed it yet. And so he's just like wrapping up some loose ends, making sure everything is straight before they cross over into the promised land. He does that. It's like, this is actually kind of a recap book. It is kind of a recap book. Where Moses like is giving this public speech and he's going over everything. He tells them everything that happened to them. Mm-hmm. In well, summation. Interestingly, he tells them things that happened to them, although some of it by definition couldn't possibly have happened to the people that he's talking to. Like what? Well, for example, he talks about how, like, God came to them on Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai and, mm-hmm. like, spoke to them, spoke to them all individually, despite the fact that, A, when that happened uh, in previous books, God only spoke to Moses and the elders. Yeah. And, B, all of those people should be dead. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because that's the only way that it's like the new generation is the only one that's allowed into the promised land. Um, Not to poke holes in this yeah. holy book. <laughs> you found anything. the one part that's I, unrealistic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can I just read something from the from the notes that precede this book in my Bible? Yes. Which are often very uh, interesting. This had like one of the most interesting essays of any of the books that I've read before it. Oh. But like one of the things it stressed was that paradox is central to the structure of Deuteronomy. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And it it got into some like heavy theological arguments that I I am not qualified to <laughs> to like relay in any way but the the point of it was like the book embraces the fact that some of it is a paradox and that some of it requires interpretation or like mediation interesting in the same way that Moses has to mediate between God and the people of Israel it's interesting because I feel like there's a lot of stuff in this book that at least you know speaking from a modern perspective mm-hmm. has kind of not adhered to as much anymore as right. it was. And and there are definitely things in here that require some like spiritual gymnastics to uh, fit into modern life. Yeah. So I could kind of see why it's in everyone's best interest to have a forward like that for sure. <laughs> um, when... Although my, my, my Bible like specifically has no like religious stake in it. It's like supposed to be an ecumenical gotcha. thing. Okay. And it's like, Maybe it's talking about the way that the book is discussed in like rabbinical tradition or in like other theological traditions. And that's why it laid that out. Yeah, I, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but it, there's there's one particular um, verse in here that's about usury um, mm-hmm. and lending. And it's like one of the most 
like controversial pieces of 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 scripture when it comes to like Talmudic uh, discussion and stuff because it's been kind of over the years has fallen in and out of vogue. Um, and oh, yeah, really? I don't know. Wow. Okay, we'll, well get to we'll that. talk about it. More I probably just like there. skimmed straight over that because I was like, yeah, we already read this in Leviticus. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Moses is recapping everything that happens. Um, I really like. He says one of the kings whose armies they defeated. Oh, yeah. Uh, his bed was made of iron mm. and was more than 13 feet long and six feet wide. That's King Og, baby. King Og. I like that King Og is the original OG. Yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's, one of the, he's one of the race of giants, the Raphaim. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. How many races of giants are there? I thought there was just the Nephilim. There's at least three mentioned in Deuteronomy. Yep. Oh, my God. Wow. Lots of giants. I'm getting the impression that maybe the Israelites were really short. <laughs> they were short. <laughs> um, let's see. Moses progresses to, um, he talks about how he pleaded with God to let him go into the promised land. And he says, but because of you, the Lord was angry with me and would not listen to me. Yeah. Even with me, the Lord was angry on your account. <laughs> so thanks uh, for nothing. <laughs> it's not the way I remember it, though. As I remember it, he like gave him instructions on how to get water out of a rock. Yeah. And then Moses did it in the wrong way, and the Lord cut him out. Yep. So it was totally on. on it was Moses's fault. Well, I don't know how he can live that. It was someone's fault. But there was also um, when Moses uh, went up to the mount, I believe, or at some point, uh, his his people made a graven image. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. made the uh, the well, they made the golden calf. Golden calf, right. yeah. And I think that that pissed God off too. Yeah, that definitely pissed God off. But, but that was Aaron's fault. Aaron was the one who made that. That was absolutely Aaron's. And fault. then he told Moses. This calf just came. I just melted down everyone's gold and suddenly this calf appeared. <laughs> um, that guy, man. <laughs> and that's the next Deuteronomy 4 is like no idols, no uh, images of any shapes. Also, we skipped over it a little bit, but Moses gets a little passive aggressive in his speech. A um, little. <laughs> he says he says to the Israelites, he's, he's like, do you know how good a thing you've got? You know, here you are standing in the Jordan and he says, did you build these cities? Did you build their walls? You know, did you farm these fields? Did you? No. But here you are in a beautiful city eating plentiful food. Who do you think gave that to you? I also like he says that part of the reason like the promised land is so great is that it rains there. (laughs) Because they're like coming from Egypt, you know, and so he's like, yeah, you're you're just going to be able to like your crops will just get rain on them. Mm -hmm. You won't have to irrigate them. Although in Egypt that they had floodplains, right? Right. But I mean, they had they had irrigation. Hmm. So this is like you don't even have to worry about that. Seven is also where they start mentioning they start talking a lot about fruit of the womb. Oh yeah. And then <laughs> I had this weird realization. So this is okay. Nico turned to me on the couch. We were both sitting there reading our Bibles, as we do on Friday nights. Yeah, that's what we do every Friday night now. We the coolest people in the world. And then <laughs> Nico just turns to me and goes, "Fruit of the loom? Is that a pun on fruit of the womb?" And the answer is, I have no idea. I mean, I could go either way, I guess, really. I mean, fruit of the loom makes sense. Yeah. But if it's a pun on fruit of the womb, I think that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to go out Maybe on the limb Maybe it's supposed here. to be work, like, work both ways, and they just assume much more biblical scholarship from their, their so audience. So that's also like, think. that's in a Catholic prayer. None of us in this room were raised Catholic. But mm. in the Hail Mary, it says, blessed are the fruits of your womb. Mm. So I don't know. Maybe they were trying to court that Catholic 
demographic some of those for their Catholic underwear. Dollars. Yeah, get some of those Catholic dollars. Maybe Fruit of the Loom is one of those companies that has like a really weird religious background that you don't know about. Oh, like yeah, Dr. totally. Dr. Bronner's soap or something. Well, uh, Dr. Bronner's writes all their weird, weird religious stuff on the <laughs> yeah, box. Yeah, they're pretty That's upfront true. about there's, it. There's nothing. In and out. They're yeah. tricky. In and out. That's a Put good one. Put the Bible verses on the bottom of the wrappers. The next section is interesting because God basically says, like, you've made it to the promised land and you're about to take it all over. But just to be clear, it's not because you're righteous. And it's not because you're numerous. Right. It's because the people in Canaan are evil. Like, And then God lists all the reasons why he's still pissed with Israel. He's like, here are all the shitty things you did. And I thought that was interesting. I was like, I didn't realize he was still mad. <laughs> Dude, he's always mad. Jehovah stays mad. <laughs> and he like never forgets anything, like literally. That's true. He makes a... a very good point of that. And he also knows like all the shit they're going to do in the future. <laughs> so he's like pre-mad. What else do we got? Uh, rules for being the king of the Israelites. Yeah, I thought those were interesting. Uh, you have to be chosen by God. Mm-hmm. You can't be foreign. Mm-hmm. And here's my favorite one. You can't acquire great numbers of horses for yourself. Well, you can't you can't use it to enrich yourself. Mine says great numbers of horses. And yeah, mine also says that, but you can't get great numbers of of great amounts of gold or great numbers of sheep or whatever. That's true too. But it specifically says <laughs> the reason... You're stuck on this horses thing, aren't you? The reason that you can't have horses is because you might make people go to Egypt to get more horses. <laughs> and we already did Egypt. We're done with that. We're putting that behind us. <laughs> okay. We cannot go back there just for horses. Got it. <laughs> and you have to get a copy of the law on a scroll and read it every day. Yes. And that copy of the law is what was mistranslated as repetition of the law and that's where the book of deuteronomy gets its name interesting acceptable ways to dodge the draft yes i like that and (laughs) and the scene that it paints here it's like this is there are several parts of this book that are basically like the rules for holy war like how the right way to do holy war yeah and one of them is like before battle you have a priest go out in front of everybody that's going to go fight and say who among you has just gotten married it's like, get out of here. You got to spend time with your wife. It's like, who in here has built a house but hasn't blessed it? Hasn't dedicated it. Then you got to get out of here because somebody else could dedicate that house while you're gone. You Planted a vineyard but not enjoyed it yet. If you die in battle, someone else is going to enjoy that vineyard. Doesn't it take a while for the first grapes to come out? Uh, my in-laws uh, have a vineyard or did. And yeah, it takes a real long time. Doesn't Your, your mom grows some grapes, right? Just for the grape leaves. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Just, for, just for the leaves. <laughs> Get that green. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deuteronomy 21. Uh, how to... How oh, to... you're skipping to 21? Whoa, yeah. Come on, there's some gold in here, baby. Oh, I'm baby. sorry. I've, I'm curious about Deuteronomy uh, 10, 16. If your translation is the same as this, or maybe if your translation well, could shed more out. light on what All I right. have. Yeah. So what I have here, Deuteronomy ten sixteen says, Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, mm-hmm. and be no more stiff-necked. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cir- the circumcised heart. Um, that really made me feel uncomfortable. Like, <laughs> that was something we talked about in a previous episode. Yeah, must have been numbers. You didn't even know your heart had a foreskin, did you? Yeah. No, and I don't know what stiff-necked means either. <laughs> that, that, you haven't they listened keep... to enough reggae, man. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> They keep calling, he keeps calling the Israelites a stiff necked people. Because mm-hmm. I guess having a loose neck means. Uh, you're good to go, baby. <laughs> you're down with whatever. Anything could come along and you'd be fine with it because your neck's so loose. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, 
the Torah is in general extremely focused on the penis mm-hmm. and the foreskin mm-hmm. to the extent that your, your, heart, heart, your heart is basically a dick. <laughs> Weird. Also in this section, there are numerous entreaties to really, really, really don't worship anybody else. Yeah, that's, that's like... like <laughs> that's like number one. Please don't worship anybody else. And like if if someone else worships another god, you have to kill them. Even if it's your own child, if it's your own parent. Yeah, there is a lot of stoning to death in Deuteronomy. Yes. Like tons and tons of things that are punishable by stoning yep. to death. And like worshiping other people is a big one. But yeah, like not say maybe not stoning someone to death for worshiping other people is also a stoning to death. That's offense. right. Until you enter the infinite stone chain. Yeah. And <laughs> the entire nation is wiped out. <laughs> this is how the world ends. <laughs> Millions of people just staring at each other, holding, holding stones. stones. <laughs> there are more food rules. I know Lauren said that she skipped them because she thought they were the same. Yeah. But guess what, Hotshot? They're not. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> now I'm going to eat a coney or something. Yep. Um, the main one that I wanted to point out was they figured out a better system for categorizing what insects you can and can't eat. Oh, mm-hmm. that's great. That's great. Because in in the last the last time we discussed insects, they thought that insects only had four legs. Right. Um, and so that was a confusing categorization. I think now it just says that you shouldn't eat the creeping things that fly. Yeah, no wings. That's that's the only rule now. But what about grasshoppers, locusts, and... Katydids. Yeah, th- those are exceptions, right? I don't know, because in Leviticus they are. Yeah, in, in Leviticus, Leviticus they are. exceptions. Here, it just says no wings. Okay, well, maybe we're past that now. When people are already getting fast and loose with kosher law. It's been like 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's very it's very liberal. It's part of the... Um, yes, cent- liberal is is the word I would use to describe Deuteronomy. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of compared to Leviticus, it's liberal. Well, maybe. Okay, that's part of the whole initiative to centralize the the places of worship, though, where they say basically once God picks out a spot that He wants to live in, and everybody has to do a pilgrimage to it a couple times a year, and you don't need to necessarily worry too much about sacrificing at the like tent of meeting anymore. Am I? Am I crazy? There was a whole section. No, about you're, you're definitely right. There's a bunch of stuff about inside my gates and things I like just, that. I must have zoned out for that part. <laughs> well, to be fair, I mean, you guys just recently read Leviticus and Numbers. And from what I gather, this book is kind of the recap of those books. Yeah. It's Moses like giving you the big highlights of his previous <laughs> knowledge. The academic notes made a big deal about the centralization. They oh, were like, okay. oh, this is part. Sure. this is part of the integration of like near eastern codes of law into the into like the the religious tradition i could see that it almost feels like and i mean you know very much extrapolation but it almost feels like this is moses's attempt to take this kind of spiritual word from on high and turn it into like a working political Mm. framework um you know it's very uh strange but that's the impression (laughs) that i got for sure did you like the rules for an unsolved murder Oh, I love the rules for an unsolved murder. Cold case. Biblical edition. 48 hours and might as well just give up. <laughs> Never finding that that missing child. It's not about solving the case. It's about making sure that nobody has the blame on yeah. their hands. It's, <laughs> so, like, it's like, here's how everybody gets together and absolves themselves. And they have to take a heifer that has never been worked, uh, break her <laughs> neck, and then have the town elders wash their hands over the dead cow and say like, we don't know what happened. It wasn't our fault. It's it sounds creepily like like sort of a Lynchian way to to, yeah. to like to have everybody be like nobody committed a murder. 
Right? <laughs> it's very, yeah, like Black Lodgy for sure. We found this body. <laughs> I think one of my favorite parts is the, the rules for grieving, just because it, it launched me into actually looking something up. And that it says, uh, Ye are the children of Jehovah, your God. You shall not cut yourself, nor make any baldness between your eyes for the dead. And I was like, what the heck does that mean? And then I looked it up, and I guess like it, it was actually a thing in a lot of like ancient religions was to express mourning, you would shave a line between your eyebrows. Or you, might sh or you might shave your whole head. Yeah. Which conflicts with the earlier instruction to not like shave your forelocks, essentially. The impression that I got with this, and I could be way off base here, is that this was basically saying, since we know that there's a kingdom promised to you after death, we don't need to grieve for our dead. You don't need to make a public hmm. showing of grief because that would kind of be in conflict with the idea that they're going to the kingdom of heaven as pure beings and stuff. But... That was just what I took from it. I could be totally wrong. Interesting, because as far as I have read, they haven't talked about afterlife in any significant yeah, way. Yeah, well, they've talked a couple times about, like, they're being sent to shale. They're shale, yeah. Actually, I mean, that's a good point, and I should know this, and that, like, there is not a mention of heaven in the Old Testament at all. But I think the idea is still, like, if you know they've been living a pure life, there's no need to grieve for them when they're gone. Sure. But if you uh, take a beautiful woman captive as your wife during war— then you can allow her to shave her head to mourn her parents that you killed yes. before you marry her. <laughs> so, For at a least month, they... right? It's a month, yeah. it's a month. And, and you're allowed to decide after that month whether you still like her. Yeah. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> Let's see. No cross-dressing? Yep. Definitely not. Um, just got to wear those manly biblical garbs. Yep. I mean, I don't even know, like, it doesn't specify what male and female clothing are that's a good point so i don't know what they are in this culture i i would i wouldn't assume there would be many differences at this point to be 100 percent honest right there's not like pants versus skirts <laughs> true but you'd think that the fact that they wrote down that law meant that there was at least enough of a difference i mean clearly they tell. knew the difference <laughs> yeah that's true speaking of like strange reasons to stone people to death um there's a section that describes how to deal with your rebellious kids oh yeah you stone know how them. to deal with your rebellious kids? You fucking stone them to you death. You stone them to death, yeah. What? Yeah, if they're arrogant or a drunkard, I believe. <laughs> Fair enough. Or like, mine Mine just said like if they're dishonoring their parents or mm -hmm. something. Yeah, my uh, mind specifically says bullheaded, arrogant, or drunk. Oh, nice. Every so often in like Oklahoma okay. or places like that, you'll hear a news story about like uh, a state representative, like in the, the state house mm -hmm. of representatives trying to uh pass a law like based on this where you can kill your children oh good <laughs> just fyi just fun fact I'm glad we live in such an enlightened time yeah well we all, we've already established in our personal life many in many discussions that the state senates and state houses of representation are the basically the the sewer of humanity yeah that's yep. true they yeah they congregate all the people with the the worst ideas <laughs> And put them in charge of a government. And not just the worst ideas, but the worst ideas and the highest motivation to get those ideas put into mm -hmm. practice. Yep. No, that, yeah, that's completely right. Um, so, yeah, I, maybe we're not that far off from from needing these kinds of rules, you know? <laughs> well, I don't know, because as soon as I go home, I'm going to shave between my eyebrows. It's <laughs> not a bad idea. You know what we're also not that far away from is the halfway point of the episode so we're going to take a quick musical break and be back in just a second bye
Welcome back to Sunday School Dropouts. We are here with our very special guest, J.W. Friedman. Hello. And we are talking about dudes. <laughs> doot doot. <laughs> That's right. When uh, when I was a teenager growing up in Florida, uh, my friends and I had a game to try to figure out the most elaborate way to call each other dude. And uh, <laughs> Deuteronomy definitely became a frequent greeting. Makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. We left off in the mid-20s of these books. Um, so there's no plot in this, essentially, besides the overall arc of Moses laying out all the rules for Israel before they can enter the promised land. And at the end, they kind of do. But... but- uh, first, we got to get through all these great laws. Oh, like, of course. you know, if you come across a fallen bird's nest, you can take the eggs and the babies, but you have to leave the mother. That's in there. That's in there. <laughs> and you know what? The reasoning for that is very strange. Because then you'll have a long life. Yes. It's like uh, just a good omen. Yes. Yeah, just like it's throwing just like, salt over your shoulder. It's just or a good thing to do just to be a good person. <laughs> and it's just like listed in there. It's sandwiched between no cross dressing. And uh, what to do if a girl is found not to be a virgin after she gets married. Right. And also if somebody falsely accuses a girl of not being a virgin after she yeah. gets married. Which is not fair. Okay. <laughs> because if if the girl is guilty, if she mm-hmm. if they can't prove that she was a virgin when she got married, then she gets stoned to death. Right. But if the guy falsely accused her of that, then he has to pay a fine and stay married to her forever. Right. So, like, the woman loses either way. <laughs> either she gets killed or she is stuck with this terrible, <laughs> liar, abusive fuckhead for the rest of her life. That's true. A lot of those marriage rules end up with the woman basically having to stay married to the abusive man for the rest of his life. Yeah. There's the whole thing with the brothers, too. Oh, yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. Um, Tell us more about the brothers, Jay. Oh, well, basically, uh, if you have a brother and you're married and you die, your wife is required to then marry your brother and have children and name them after you. And oh, I missed the naming after you part. If she doesn't fulfill any of those things, then she's really bad. And uh, because it's damning you to have a, a name that has disappeared with the ages. And I believe there's a stoning. <laughs> I think like if the brother... Can't rule it out. If the brother refuses to marry his brother's widow then he's in deep shit but not stony oh yeah then then they will take off one of his sandals spit in his face and his oh, line will yeah. be known as the family of the unsandled <laughs> the worst type of family <laughs> i love that sandal shit man i can't get enough of that that's the kind of old timey flavor i'm looking for in this bible stuff yeah definitely um the way that they determine whether sex was consensual or not is if the woman screamed for help or not. Mm-hmm. I found that very strange. So by definition, you cannot be raped in a town. That's right. It's like if, if a woman has sex in a town, it isn't rape by definition. Because she could have uh, cried for help. Because she would have screamed for help and people would have heard her. Mm. She can only be raped in the country where there's no one around to hear her scream. I was... Um mentioning earlier off mic and I, I this may be a good time to bring this up is that that reading this has really kind of brought up like some feelings in me and that like <laughs> just kind of recently decided hey i'm gonna get interested in in my religion again and it's stuff like this really makes me kind of worried if this is the path i want to go down because i mean admittedly everything's open to interpretation mm-hmm. and very few people treat this stuff literally now but when you look at this kind of rhetoric as the basis for a spirituality it, it it shook me a little, I would say. I... Well, actually, this part is great because, you know, if if the man did rape the woman, 
and she was engaged to someone else, then she's totally innocent. It says here she did nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. That's like the only time in the Bible so far that That's a true. woman like didn't do something wrong. <laughs> it's definitely the only time a woman could get off the hook after having sex. Yeah. So, <laughs> so like this is all clear. You can take this into the modern world and and with a clear conscience. <laughs> you know what you should also not do? Uh, don't plow with an ox and a donkey yoke together. Now that's just common sense. You know what I'm talking about? One is stronger than the other. <laughs> yeah, you're just going to end up with circles. Yeah, you're just, <laughs> you don't want to plow in circles. Can, Maybe I, I do. I also just want to say it seems like uh, your translation you mentioned earlier has the word donkey. Mine uses the word ass, and it leads to all sorts of hilarious stuff if you're mature like I am. Um, <laughs> like the phrase, thou shalt not see thy brother's ass. Ha 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 ha. Although in the book of Genesis, yeah. Ham, Ham did get cursed for yeah. looking at Noah's dick. That's true. So maybe they do mean ass. <laughs> <laughs> they might. <laughs> No, it actually goes on to say you shouldn't see his brother's ass fallen down by the way and hide themselves, hide thyself from them and not help them. So basically what it's saying is if you see your brother trying to pick up a donkey, you aren't allowed to like turn around and whistle innocently and stroll off. You got to help is... your brother with that ass. <laughs> this is another thing where it's like if they made a rule about it, then they must have had a problem, you know? And so I'm just imagining, like, people hiding, like, oh, shit, there's a fallen donkey, and they just, like, jump behind a rock. <laughs> well, yakety-sax, please. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, let's see, Deuteronomy 23, uh, men who have had their balls crushed or cut off can't enter the assembly of the Lord. That's true. Is that how it was written? Yes. It didn't say ball. Right? Mine says, he that is wounded in the stones, which I'm like, what an amazing turn of phrase. I even wrote oh that down. Oh, my God. Mine, mine just has uh, one whose member or testicles have been crushed. Mine was even more euphemistic, and it said, men who have been emasculated by crushing or cutting. So this is definitely talking about eunuchs then, I guess. Yes. Like, okay. Because, yeah, mine says, he that is wounded in the stones or hath his privy member cut off. <laughs> Privy member? Yeah. <laughs> Privy member? I've never heard that before. Well, I've got a new word. Uh, yeah, I'm now only referring to genitalia as privy members. <laughs> Speaking of which, if you have a wet dream, you have to go outside the camp and wash yourself and not come back until sunset. True. Another important thing that you have to do, uh, this is a direct quote from the Bible, at least my version of it guard against an outbreak of a leprous skin disease by being very careful yep (laughs) that is um very like someone with an anxiety disorder wrote that (laughs) (laughs) be very careful around that if i just worry about it enough it won't happen (laughs) (laughs) that's like the story of my life (laughs) uh also we get instructions for shitting outside the camp in a designated area Pretty common sense uh, stuff. You just dig, dig a, a hole, hole yeah. and then cover it up. This is very common sense and makes a lot more sense than some of these laws. However, why are we only getting to this after we've been in the desert for 40 years? <laughs> well, maybe they had to learn that lesson the hard way. <laughs> They're like, okay, 40 years later, we figured this out. <laughs> I'm letting hole. everyone know. <laughs> <laughs> um, do not take a pair of millstones, not even the upper one. <laughs> As security for a debt. I just really like that it's supposed to be. Not even the upper one. If you take a mill or a millstone as security on a debt, it's like taking a life. Did you know that? That's weird. A, a lot of this stuff to do with lending is really strange. Um, and this is like one of the few pieces uh, of 
this book where I immediately had to to rush to Google to look at different interpretations because uh, it's pretty explicitly stated in this that you shouldn't uh, loan money for interest of any sort. Mm-hmm. And then almost immediately, one one verse later, it's walked back to, no, you cannot loan with interest to other people of Israel, but it's okay for aliens. For foreigners, yeah, yeah. But um, what's really interesting about this, at least from what I can discover, is this is definitely like one of the most hotly debated and contested pieces of scripture kind of in the Talmud. And mm. that like as early as like 900 AD, like maybe a little bit after that, people were already trying to figure out like, is this actually what it's saying? Mm-hmm. Because I mean, to the point where, you know, obviously money lending and stuff is now almost stereotypically mm-hmm. associated with Jewish yeah. culture mm-hmm. in this time period, like the 1100, 1200 AD. I mean, Jews didn't have land, you know, they didn't have a farm. And a lot of people realized, like, this is how I could make money. Is this okay? So there's so much discussion just based over, you know, people kind of dissecting this down to the letter of like, how, you know, is this all right? What are the rules? And and I found that really interesting because it does seem to really kind of stand in opposition to a lot of what the modern reality of Judaism is. There's plenty of Jewish people involved in the world of finance, so... I don't know. I found that kind of fascinating just in that it's been hotly contested, like, pretty much since the Bible hit the streets. (laughs) (laughs) But then, like, it's also been the stereotype has been the opposite for a long time. I mean, going back to Shakespeare, at least. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, Merchant of Venice. Yeah. Like, that's already an anti-Semitic stereotype. Not to get way off track here, but I think one of the things that really kind of pulled me back into Judaism and kind of rekindled my interest was just this awareness of that it is a religion that's relatively self-aware and that there's a lot of discussion about, well, the Bible says X, but should we interpret it literally? Mm-hmm. Should you know? And I think that Jewish scholars have gotten really good at creating loopholes for themselves hmm. and, and other people, and I think that this kind of fits into that. And it's interesting to see how early it was going on, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, going back to what I said earlier about the intro essay to this book, about how it's all about... Like paradox. Paradox and about mediation and about interpretation of a text and about mm-hmm. having a conversation with the text and whatever. That seems to be like part of the... Yeah, I, it's it's really interesting because it's two sequential verses that directly contradict one another. Uh-huh. So there's absolutely no way to take this literally. Uh, you're, <laughs> you're either taking one verse or the other. So I don't know. I, I find that pretty fascinating. And I do think it does speak to what you had said about the intro notes where it is. This is, this is a book to talk about, even though it may be a really boring conversation. <laughs> Not like this exciting one. <laughs> um, how literally do you think we should take the rule that if a woman tries to rescue her husband from a fight by grabbing the other guy's dick, that you should cut her hand off? Is that what it says? That's what it says. Because in mine it says uh, to lead him away by his secrets. What? <gasps> I oh have the God. best version of the Bible, You're... apparently. <laughs> Stones and secrets. Like, and... They spent a lot of time like coming up with euphemisms. <laughs> That's now ridiculous. I like to imagine there's just a room full of rabbis like thinking of clever words. There was to just say like penis. this one rabbi. He was like, "No, no, no! I got this translation. I got it." <laughs> Privy member. <laughs> but this is like the only time that somebody has their hands cut off as a punishment. Yeah, that's that true. That is true. I haven't seen that before. And so the notes in mine implied that it might have been from a different code of laws mm. that was like integrated into the into the J code because like nothing else talks about cutting off hands. Did you just call it the J code? <clears throat> yes <laughs> thanks um, <laughs> i don't have time i think this is it like j date busy man <laughs> j swipe j code i think that's like right before the verse that actually even specifically says eye for an eye which uh makes you wonder how much of kind of the prevailing 
I don't know, like the the prevailing tenor of the times was mm. influencing the this. legal atmosphere. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's some there's some interesting, if a little dry, stuff about that, which is specifically like some portions of this mirror uh, exactly like Near Eastern treaty law. Specifically, like some treaties that were written in like 600 BC and stuff. That Mine also had some of. notes about like um, the exact wording is used on like in Phoenician texts, but instead of saying like like God will blot you out, it mm-hmm. says like this Phoenician God will blot you out, mm-hmm. but it's like uses the exact same words. So some of this does seem to be an integration of like other people's laws or the laws of the land. Maybe maybe yeah. it has to do with you know being in a, in a new place or relatively new place. I, I mean, I think it would because definitely the eye for an eye stuff right away like stuck out to me as like I had learned that as the code of Hammurabi. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, I did too. So. But you see it in Leviticus numbers and Deuteronomy mm-hmm. in that exact same language. Yeah, I, yeah, it's interesting. Um, let's see, Deuteronomy twenty-seven. We have the original call and response song. <laughs> yes. Did you like this? I did like it. It's like literally the first instance of preachers getting an amen from the crowd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But, like, instead of being, like, uplifting, energizing messages, it's like, cursed is the man who dishonors his parents. Amen. <laughs> Jehovah will smite thee in thy knees and the legs with a sore boil. Can I get a witness? <laughs> cursed is the man who moves his neighbor's boundary stone. Amen. 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 This part I just wrote down. I was like, oh, yeah, time to talk about. We're about to enter Jordan. All right. It's going down. And then it's like, nope. Oh, sorry. Here are the Ten Commandments. It says, "Yeah, <laughs> yep. yeah." Um, there are at least in my translation, I believe it's twenty-seven and twenty-eight and twenty-nine all start with the same sentence. And I thought something was wrong with my Bible, but it's just really repetitive. Oh, you thought yeah. your Bible was broken? Yeah, I thought, <laughs> I thought my Bible app was on the fritz. <laughs> my Bible's skipping. I don't know. Um, so we get another section, just like we had in Numbers. Uh, that's. That's all blessings and curses. Oh, yeah. I think that was in Leviticus, actually. Was it? All right. Whatever. The blessings take up half a page, and the curses take up uh, two pages. Mm-hmm. So it's four times as long, the curse section. And they're really gross. He, like, talks about getting boils on your feet. Yeah. I describe them as nightmare fuel. Yeah. And not just, not, like, in the way that you'd have, like, a, a monster in a movie that's scary, but, like, this is what actual nightmares are made of. Like, the nightmare of being hungry and eating and eating and eating and like you're still hungry until uh, you're like cannibalizing your kids again of course yeah it's a biblical body horror kind of yeah T- totally Very totally much so. the book of cronenberg <laughs> <laughs> there's some like strangely mild ones mixed in there they're That's like true. uh your sheep will be given to your enemies and no one will rescue them oh no <laughs> my, sheep. my sheep <laughs> my poor sheep they're so scared one of the blessings inclu- is, uh, blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. <laughs> you know, you baking up some tasty bread. Yeah. Making that mana. <laughs> Just don't leaven it. <laughs> Dude, don't leaven it. Um, I like also the alien who lives among you will lend money to you instead of the other way around. Mm. <laughs> Worst curse ever. <laughs> Just like, these foreigners are going to be richer than us. It's pretty bad, especially when so much of your kind of existence is defined on this prosperity gospel uh deuteronomy 32 we get um like a nice little song i admit i kind of skimmed over this one i thought oh, it i was... totally did i read the whole thing i it was thought nice. it was like kind of like the elvish songs you know in lord of the rings oh, where those you're are, like those are bad you're like oh you know that's great good for you Tolkien. I'm, I'm not gonna read it but like good for you well i mean 
that's kind of messed up because the ones in Tolkien at least have have rhythm because they're in the language that they were written in. These that's these true. have lost all rhythm because they're in translation, so it's kind of rough. But mm. some of the imagery is still still very nice. Like what? <clears throat> oh, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I did see in there uh, when I was skimming it was like it says that God will guard His people like the apple of His eye, mm-hmm. and then my note says. That like the apple of his eye means the pupil. What? Like it's like is the true? the round colored solid part of your eye. That's like a piece of fruit, and you have to guard it because it's delicate and it's very important. And I looked this up on etymonline.com, the internet's best etymology website, <laughs> and that's true. So I had no idea. I've heard that phrase all my life, and I never knew that it meant like the your pupil. I thought it always meant like. You saw a really nice apple, and that's the apple that you have your eye on. That was the interpretation that I have, but saying that out loud or hearing that said out loud, I'm like, that's stupid. Yeah, that's definitely not sense. <laughs> I also learned a song uh, at Bible camp when I was a kid that was about, it was like little fruit puns to talk about how much you loved God. It went, uh, he's a peach of a savior. He's the apple of my eye. It goes dumping through the vineyards when the grapes are growing high. Anyway, they gave up on that metaphor really fast. I think that apple of my eye, like, I think that was the first place that I heard it was in like a Bible song. You want some imagery from the song? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I like this section. The song basically restates the entire chapter in miniature. Oh, good. Because the chapter restates (laughs) the whole Torah. In maximature. (laughs) But it's like, it's got a bunch of blessings and curses. It's got like a brief summary of Israel's travels and how Israel has fucked up so far. It really focuses on that, like <laughs> how they're like barely deserving of of God's good graces. At the end, it says, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will be repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood Ooh. and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the long haired enemy. Wow. Damn. That is good. It's not bad, right? That is good. I like I fucking hate those stinking long hairs. Get a job. Then immediately after that, Moses, like, gives his blessing mm-hmm. to all the different tribes, which feels like I got a little whiplash there. Like, all he's doing is talking about how they suck. And they've just, like, put him through hell. They It's their fault that Moses doesn't get to see the promised land. I think it's still think it's Moses' fault. I know, but Moses keeps saying it's their fault. He thinks it's their fault. Yeah. And then Moses goes up on Mount Nabo. Where he can see the promised land, but he can't reach it, and he dies. The end. This so is... that so that does it. That leaves Israel moving into the promised land, but not yet. Not yet. Well, they're like on their way. Yeah. Because Moses is dead, and he was the last one who needed to die before yeah. they go there. And nobody knows where he's buried. Which it says in the Bible, yeah. which is weird, right? Yeah. Especially because Moses supposedly wrote it. <laughs> no, I mean, but that's that's part of all all of the signs all over this book that it was written later by people who were more concerned with the law being consistent mm. and clear than with like any sort of religious stuff. My Bible said Moses wrote it. Mm-hmm. So that's what I believe. Sorry. <laughs> but it's weird because like, like in Genesis, every time one of these like large, important personalities died, mm-hmm. it's like, like King Og. <laughs> yeah. Like King Og. He's, He's one of the largest. Large. <laughs> Um, it says like where they're buried. I mean, they're all buried in like the cave of the patriarchs. It says in Hebron, which is like 
still a place. You can go and visit the what's like traditionally called the Cave of the Patriarchs. And not only that, but it describes like where where they all stop at like yeah. every well and every tree and everything. But then like nobody knows where Moses is buried. I think it's a way to like separate it from the historical to be like, this is true. This is real. But just don't go digging around. I mean, like, <laughs> no, I, I agree in that. Like, I really think that's not the purpose of of. Uh, Pardon me, I almost said Leviticus. The purpose of Deuteronomy isn't so much to create a historical narrative as just to be like, here's some shit you need to remember. And I think in a lot of ways, Moses kind of got short shrift by having his death in this book, because if it was in a different one, <laughs> he only probably... only he died in a different book. <laughs> exactly. Like in season two, he would have got a whole send off, <laughs> but... No. This time they really needed to make sure that you know about the secrets, yeah. you know about the privy members, you know about shit and all. <laughs> Wounded in the stones. <laughs> oh. Priorities. <laughs> um so Jay, you you brought this up a little bit before. Um now that we've read the whole Torah, mm-hmm. the Torah is like the holiest text in Judaism, right? 100%. There's like the rest of the Old Testament is in there too, but like the Torah seems to be the most important part yeah yeah and i mean it's it's definitely most of the scholarship that that surrounds it and stuff uh that surrounds the old testament focuses on the torah for sure but like the torah seems very difficult to bring into the 21st century or even just like like even a few hundred years later maybe well i think a lot of that kind of is kind of the basis of why over the years, Judaism has become such kind of like a scholarly religion where there's a lot of conversation and study is because like I think it's almost generally acknowledged that a lot of this is very anachronistic and it needs to be reinterpreted for the modern era. So I think that's why you have a religion that is kind of so focused on, on you know, reading Studying. and learning and talking is that there is an awareness and there is an acknowledgement that you can't take these words as they exist on the page and mm. apply them to life in the 21st century, you know? That's so interesting. Do you happen to know, I mean... You said you haven't, like, gone to very many services, but, like, do you have any examples of that? Um, you know, I mean, I think the the thing that I was talking about earlier with, with lending mm-hmm. is, is a really good one. Um, definitely, too. I mean, the whole concept of Reform Judaism or even conservative Judaism as opposed to Orthodox is all about kind of identifying these, for lack of a better word, identifying these loopholes and figuring out a way to make them work in what is still a, a Jewish life. So, I mean, I think a good example would be, you know, the... The milk in the child, the mother's milk in the child, mm-hmm. um, you know, kosher law explicitly dictates you don't eat the milk of the mother with the child. So if you're eating beef, you don't have, say, cheese that's made from a cow on it or something. Right. But what's really interesting now is a lot of modern Jews, like they'll still have kitchens where they're preparing both of these things, but they'll have two dishwashers. Uh-huh. You know, so this one is for milk plates and this one is for meat. And the idea is you're still keeping that separation, but you may be eating all of that stuff. Huh. Uh, I so, see, you see, so you don't cook a kid in its mother's milk, but you can eat it. Yeah, on a different plate right. that's washed in a different dishwasher, you know? And I mean, I'm sure that, you know, different groups of people follow these rules to, you know, maybe a more literal or a less literal interpretation, but there's definitely no shortage of Jews, in, especially in the West, who, you know, have figured out ways to make this work. And I think it is because, you know, like you said, a lot of this doesn't directly apply. Like, yeah. It's very hard to look at rules about what you should do with thy brother's ass and be like, <laughs> how does this apply to me, a, you know, a person in San Francisco in 2016? Right. You know? Well, I mean, that one actually seems like pretty easy to apply. like, yeah, like help out somebody when you see they're in trouble. Yeah. But like in terms of unsolved murders, like I really don't want us to keep that law around. Yeah. And I mean, I think 
I mean, and this is one of the things that really interested me in Judaism again was coming back to it is realizing how many kind of almost mainstream versions of this philosophy will just take parts of scripture and just be like, oh, this doesn't apply anymore. Hmm. This isn't how we do things. And to me, that sort of flexibility like really interested me a lot in that like, oh, hey, there is an acknowledgement that this needs to work in the real modern world. But yeah, that's interesting because like Christianity kind of does the same thing but like without any of the thought process surrounding it you know like without any of the scholarship yeah it's like you just um you just like live the loopholes without acknowledging that they're loopholes live the loophole baby yeah put it on a bumper sticker (laughs) i mean ultimately i think you could kind of look at like a lot of the mitzvah and the the world of talmudic scholarship as kind of a search to justify a modern life Mm -hmm. in a way Mm. which this may make a lot of people think i'm a horrible person and if so i'm sorry but i feel like that kind of in some ways is what's going on it's like hey we believe this but we live in this world how can we make these two things click and yeah. then a lot of thought goes into that yeah you know? well i mean justifying modern life is is a thing that everybody needs to do yeah <laughs> like, that's true because sure. <laughs> it's unprecedented in human history and it makes no fucking sense yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i don't know jay did, did you have any anything anything, anything wanna... that struck you well while reading this book as a person who's coming back to this world after, you know, many, many years away and maybe I didn't have the upbringing or anything else, I think that like a lot of the the good parts of what I've been getting from religion and spirituality kind of came into sharp contrast with what I would say is like some very ugly stuff in this. And I think maybe this goes back to what we were just talking about and that that need to kind of rationalize how things fit in modern society. But just definitely I walked away from this thinking it's like, you know, no matter how much this means to me on a personal level and what kind of comfort I take from certain parts of it, there's problematic stuff in the Old Testament. (laughs) The Old um, Testament is a problematic fave for sure. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know. I think that's what really jumped out at me is like for everything in there where I was like, oh, this is cool. Then there's something about women being unclean or something (laughs) like that. And that's a little harder to wrap my head around. So I think I don't want to be like, I'm questioning my faith now and be all dramatic. But it definitely was kind of eye-opening in that, oh, yeah, this is what Deuteronomy says, and I'm not on board with all of this. Um, If it's not too personal, like, feel free to say it's too personal, but, like, what are some of the things that you do find comforting or that you um, do really like about either Judaism or any of the stuff that you've read here? Just in general, I I just think the idea that there's an order to things, um, you know, kind of the idea that that there's – something important that goes beyond myself, Mm -hmm. you know, that there's kind of a spiritual calling that, that I have as a human being. And, you know, like the pursuit of that has become more important to me as I've gotten older. Yeah. Um, but definitely like the idea that there is a spiritual existence that, that is larger than what I perceive with my senses is it's huge to me. And yeah, I'd say that's the big part for sure. Lauren and I don't get a lot of like actual religious stuff out of this. Like, (laughs) I mean like, like spiritual, like, yeah, I mean, for me, I'm I'm like you're very anti. Yeah, yeah. I not I, that so, I don't. I mean, like I appreciate you know some of the stuff where it's like like help out your brother when his donkey is injured or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that all seems fine to me. But I, I feel happy to have left religion behind when I read this. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. No, I don't. I don't disagree. I think mm-hmm. a lot of the logistics of this are are very strange. But I do think that, you know, just I don't know, as as somebody who didn't really have a spiritual upbringing, I think there's something really attractive to yeah. the, these concepts that are, uh, you know, it's speaking to me now for whatever reason. So I do feel as I get older that I get sick of like my life just being about myself. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. I th- um, but I don't want kids. So <laughs> yeah. uh, and we can't have a dog <laughs> and yeah. our building doesn't allow dogs. So <laughs> 
Like, I, I do, like, kind of see the appeal of that. There's also, too, and I mean, you know, at the risk of being a little too cliche, I, I feel like as a person who is visibly Jewish, who grew up Jewish in America, like... Wait, can, we, can I just interrupt to say that Jay just posted on Facebook recently that when he posts a picture of himself to Facebook, it automatically tags him as Mark Merritt. It's totally true. <laughs> Mark Merritt is tagged every single time and so, I have to exit out. It's like, did you want to tag Mark Merritt? So yeah, I so look pretty Jewish. So visibly Jewish, like Facebook can tell. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think you kind of do grow up like feeling like maybe not this is something to be ashamed of, but people make fun of you about it, especially in the South. You get a lot of shit. Mm. And so for me, there is just something that's a little cool about reading like mm-hmm. God likes you. <laughs> you know? like God picked you. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. It's like just just steer the course, you know, do your thing. But you're at the end of the day, you're special. Like that feels kind of good. Yeah. So I can't lie about that. It's also interesting. Like, um, I mean, like as a Christian you believe in this stuff, so it's, like, kind of part of your heritage, but not really. Mm. Like, I imagine that reading it as a Jew, you're like, like, this is my, like, my culture thousands of years ago. Like, you, there's a through line. You get to see something that your ancestors did and was recorded if, thousands of years ago. And even if some of the ago. historical details are a little different, that's, like, historically true. Yeah. yeah. That's literally true. Yeah, like, I mean. Like, this stuff is prob- in Deuteronomy is probably from, like, 700 BC. And I mean, that's that's, like, a Davidic kingdom in canaan yeah and i mean yeah a lot of it is recorded history so they had a sense of community they had a sense of who israel was and like Mm -hmm. what it meant to be jewish like 2700 years ago yeah cool should we rate it should we even rate it yes we should absolutely rate. okay so we're sort of wrapped up with the book which means it's time as tradition dictates (laughs) to rate this book rate this book i'm gonna go first because that's what I just decided. Um, I'm going to give this book eight out of 12 Fruits of the Womb. Fruits of the Womb. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that rating? Yes. Even in, in spite of its sort of conflicts within itself, I think the summary that it achieved of the time in the desert and and some of the laws, um, I thought it was very effective. I don't know. I thought the, I thought the writing was a lot cleaner than in some of the previous books that we've read. There was some repetition, but I think if I hadn't just read all of the other books like in sequence and then talked about them a bunch on a podcast, I probably would have appreciated the the clarity of the summary. That's a good point. Um, I also like that. Like you could kind of just read Deuteronomy and skip Leviticus and Numbers. Yeah. And because of that, I will give it five out of seven apples of my eye <laughs> um i obviously it's you know full of woman hating bullshit mm-hmm. but they're all full of woman hating bullshit and at least like a woman could be innocent once in this one that's true <laughs> um and i just like you know there were some some wacky laws in here that i enjoyed reading and uh now i know what to do if i ever have a wet dream <laughs> one day it'll happen to you too <laughs> How about you, Jay? Um, for me, I'm going to give it seven out of twelve wounded stones. <laughs> um, for many of the same reasons that that you guys mentioned, I do think that it's it's a good summation of, you know, the way that the Israelites believed you should live. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, you know, it's very clear and concise. I think there is a lot of bullshit in the book, woman hating bullshit and otherwise. 
Um, but I do think it does a good job of kind of creating a summary of what's come before. Um, does have some problems with excessive exposition. <laughs> the characters are not very well drawn. <laughs> but ultimately, yeah, it's it does what it's supposed to do. So uh, it I achieves give it a, its goals pretty solidly. Yeah, solid B for uh, efficacy. So. <laughs> All right, we did it. We did it, guys. We did it. <laughs> it's done. Doot, doot. Doot, doot. <laughs> doot, doot. Um, so, so that was our podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, what that are, was our podcast. What do, we, what do we say at the end? Jay, where can people find you and the things that you do? Um, sure. So I am one half of a podcast about books called I Don't Even Own a Television. It's very sardonic title. And if you like, if you liked this, you'll like... I don't even know. Of course, our podcast is a podcast about books, too. It's it, just the yeah. best selling book of all time. <laughs> well, we we review books that are bad um, intentionally. And I will say that this maybe says more about the Internet than anything else. The number one most requested book we get is the Bible. So <laughs> send them our way, baby. Yep. <laughs> you guys will have a lot of uh, very angry listeners headed your way soon who are ready to rage with you. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, so you can find me on I don't even own a television dot com. I'm also on Twitter at Satellite High, where I post way too much about professional wrestling. So, yeah, <laughs> solid. And you can find us. That is the Sunday School Dropouts podcast online at Sunday School Dropouts dot L-O-L. That's Sunday School Dropouts dot LOL. Alternatively, we're on Twitter at Sun School Drop and Facebook. We are Sunday School Dropouts. Thank you so much to Elise Carlton for our amazing logo. Thank you to Nico for all our music. You're welcome as always. And we will be back next week talking about the Book of Joshua. We will see you on Sunday. Goodbye. Bye.